Welcome to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. We are the Soto Brothers. I am Samuel Soto, Doctor of Physical Therapy. And I am Joseph Soto, a physician. Together, we are board-certified medical providers who specialize in internal medicine and physical therapy. Our mission is to promote longevity, health span, and wellness in order to prevent illness and injury so we can optimize the human experience. Any information on diseases and treatments available at this channel is intended for general guidance only and must never be considered a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. Recent studies of medical errors have estimated that errors may account for as many as 251,000 deaths annually in the United States, making medical errors the third leading cause of death. Error rates are significantly higher in the U.S. and in other developed countries, such as Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, and the United Kingdom. That's heavy, Sam. What do you think about that? Wow. Yeah, that is pretty heavy. Uh, that's a lot of deaths um, per year. Yeah, I think I think that's one statistic that a lot of people don't know. However, the people that have been affected personally by medical errors do know that as one of the leading causes. And I think I think one of the reasons why there are so many medical errors in this country is because of the exhaustion and the psychological stress and physical stress and mental and physical exhaustion, as well as the emotional burdens of being a caretaker and how that impacts healthcare workers. So I'm glad we're doing this podcast, Joe, because this is a topic that is very relevant in today's society, especially, you know, post COVID-19 pandemic, although some people may still believe we're in a pandemic depends on who you ask. But I think a lot of people were affected by COVID-19, especially specifically, we're talking about healthcare workers and the amount of work that they had to do and the amount of personal sacrifice they had to, to do as well. So yeah, I'm glad we're doing this podcast and uh, looking forward to talking about medical burnout and also burnout in other jobs. Yeah, so that that statement that I read you guys um, is uh, very shocking to me, and I think this day and age we t we tend to forget that medical errors they cause they cause a lot of issues in the overall healthcare system, in terms of patient outcomes, in terms of overall outcomes in general, and I think the COVID pandemic has shifted people's attention away from this issue and it turns out that this was something that has always been there and in some ways it's getting worse and as sam was just mentioning burnout is on the rise stress is on the rise i believe that the COVID 19 pandemic was a tipping point in our society and this is not unique to healthcare i believe many different industries are, are experiencing burnout but i think healthcare in particular is being affected significantly. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about this. So we've all, we've all been in an airplane and we all know that when you get on an airplane, there's a uh, certain safety pro protocols that, that the, the, 
the the workers tell the the passengers they say if there's in the event of turbulence in the event of an emergency there's usually a protocol that people follow and this is the reason I'm bringing this up is because we we should all compare ourselves to the airline industry because the airline industry they have it right meaning they got it down when is the last time you heard of an airplane crash- crashing uh it's been a while i was actually talking about this with one of my patients because i'm currently or i'm i'm going to be traveling soon in a couple of days and um you know this patient was telling me that she's very afraid of traveling and very afraid of like you know going to a new country or new new state or even like a place that she's been to before she's very afraid of traveling by herself so we were talking about fear and we were talking about um airlines and i mentioned to her yeah when was the last time you heard an airplane crash or you know even like a rough landing where you know we we saw it in, in in california years ago uh even just like faulty landings causing like fires or you know what happened with the Boeing uh Max airplanes this it seemed like there was a time period of like f- within 5 years that there were multiple crashes and we haven't heard of anything like that uh recently so i was like wondering why joe well the reason is because number 1 the the airline industry is one of the safest industries that exists because they have very 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 tight safety protocols and and they have also a lot of things that prevent burnout which is the a, a big topic of what we're going to be talking about today um you know in addition to the protocols that i spoke about there's also a certain number of things that they ensure that the workers have so let's start with pilots so in case you guys didn't know pilots they have to have a certain number of days off that's required they ha- they cannot work more than a certain number of hours and this is something that's very unique in the in the in the work environment as the last time i checked i don't see this in any other field including medicine you know we've all heard of 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 doctors working 24 hours 36 hour shifts back in the day there was even 48 hours where people would just be working nonstop especially residents also nurses right nurses also and other healthcare workers and When you think about the number of hours that those that those people had to work, it's no surprise that there were so many medical errors. You know, things such as sleep deprivation leads to medical mistakes, high rates of depression, high rates of of suicide as well. So the reason I'm bringing up the airline industry is because I feel like we should we should all be modeling the air, airline industry because I, I I really do believe that they have it correct. and the reason why airlines or airplanes in general don't crash is because they have all of these checks and balances in place it's it's, it's a it's a system that they they ensure that things don't happen bad things don't happen and i think we have to model this every other industry should model this but anyway let's move let's yeah, move but on yeah uh-huh. i i agree i i get what you're saying but i think it's a lot easier to ensure safety on an air flight than it is when it comes to performing something like a surgery where many medical errors happen because 
when it comes to airplanes and air traffic control and, and, and analyzing the weather status and looking at, you know, is this airplane safe to go up in the sky and land and get these hundreds of people safely to their destination? And although there are environmental variables that change and they can change quickly, it's very much at this point predictable in terms of is an airplane safe to fly and can it land safely as opposed to is this surgery that I'm performing on the heart or is this transplant going to be predictable? I think there are so many more factors that are out of the surgeon or doctor's control that impact the outcome of the event. Because to me, the only things that are uh, variables that can change the outcome of a safe landing on a flight are birds in the sky, um, a hail, a possible random like hailstorm where the detectors, you know, malfunction. Um, because a lot of a lot of air disasters have actually been caused by pilot um, pilot error, pilot mistakes. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that, Joe? I think I don't know about that because the body is so much more complex than the environment. You know, like you can see so many more. You know, it could be the same diagnosis or the same surgery, and and two people are going to respond completely different. You know. Well, I have, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one, and I'll tell you why. So I'll give you several examples. I actually don't think the airline industry is that much different from healthcare. So yeah, let's take the ex extreme example. Let's say you're a surgical team that is preparing to operate on a patient. Let's just say it's a very complicated case. Well, the first thing you would do is you would want to prepare the patient for the surgery. So you're going to ask questions such as, is this patient healthy enough for surgery? What medical conditions do they have? You're going to do what's called the checklist. And let's say that the patient satisfies all those things. So then you as a surgical team, the surgeon, remember, medicine is not only one person. It's also a team, much like the airline industry. It's a team. And teams are always better than one person. So that's one similarity. Then once you have the person that they're getting ready for surgery, What's the next thing, next thing that has to happen? You have to ensure that the surgical team knows exactly what the procedure is. They know exactly what to do if something goes wrong. That's the same thing that happens during flights, right? You have air traffic control. You have the pilots, the co-pilots. You have the flight attendants. They're all working together. You have the weather towers telling everybody what the weather is going to be. And, and healthcare is the same. You have the surgical team. You have the anesthesia team, you have the scrub techs. So it's very similar. And I, I agree the human body is more complex, but I do believe that we've come a long way in terms of preventing medical errors. For example, when before a surgery is performed, they do what's called a timeout. And what that means is that they take two minutes just to go over what exactly the procedure is, what side of the body they're operating. And they make sure that they have the right patient, right? The first and last name, the date of birth, because we've seen so many errors take place simply because they operated on the wrong leg, the wrong arm, the wrong patient. 
they gave the wrong medication, the wrong anesthetic. And all of that was avoided simply by having checklists and having checks and balances, which they actually took from the airline industry. So it's not, it's not that far. It's not that much different from the airline industry, believe it or not. And I, I think that we still have to continue to improve. Uh, it's not perfect, obviously, but it's, more, it's much more similar than you think it is. I guess where my confusion is, like, what actually constitutes a medical error? Because I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, there are things that are out of, out of doctor's control and that can lead to a poor outcome. So how, what constitutes a medical error versus, you know, they just they didn't, they didn't make it. Like, we did what we could. We did the right operation, but they didn't make it. So, like, what actually constitutes a medical error? And, like, how, how is that kept in check? So basically, there's different types of medical errors uh, and there's different categories. Sometimes, most of the times, there actually isn't a medical error. It's something called a near miss. So a near miss is when one or several members of a healthcare team make a mistake and it's caught because of a system that's in place to prevent that error. So I'll give you an example. And I've seen this in the hospital when I was working in, um, in residency. There's been many situations where uh, medication is prescribed, right? Let's say it's prescribed by an intern. And if you guys don't know, an intern is a first-year resident, so they've just completed their medical school. So they're brand-new doctors. Let's say that an intern prescribes a medication for a patient that they think should be prescribed. That medication goes through the system because they have the ability to prescribe. However... Let's say that they didn't consult with the senior resident or the attending physician on the team. And that medication, let's just say the dose is too high. So that, that is a near miss because before that medication is administered to the patient, you're going to have a bunch of people intervening. One is going to be, you're going to have a phone call from the pharmacist. The pharmacist is going to say, wait a second, is this, the, is this really the dose you want to administer? Number two, you're going to get a page from the nurse because the nurse is also going to be questioning this dose. So that's already two, two people, two, two sections of, of, this, of, this, of this system that's going to be alerted that this is a, a mistake. That's called a near miss. That's one example. That's how actually most things are caught. Then you have things such as called negligence, medical negligence, which is basically the provider straight up did something that or prescribed something or did something that any other physician wouldn't do. And we can get into why that happens. A lot of it has to do with stress, which we'll get into burnout, being tired, sleep deprived, poor communication. So that those are actually those are some of the examples of, of, of medical mistakes. It's not always a procedure. It could also be a missed medication, uh, incorrect dose of a medication, or it could also just be that something was not administered that should have been administered, you know, such as a medication that in any case, in every situation would have been administered, but in this situation was not administered. And we're going to get into why this happens. Like why, why is healthcare so prone to these things? And it has a lot to do with burnout and stress, which is actually the bulk of our podcast today. And we'll get more into that in just a second. But do you have anything, any other comments about that? No, that was a good uh, summary of, you know, you know, because I, 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 I didn't know there were different categories of uh, medical errors. 
you know, so it's not as black and white as, uh, as I thought. So, yeah. And, and also we're not, this episode is not just for healthcare guys. This is for every industry, whether it's law enforcement, retail, technology, um, you name it. I mean, every field is prone to this and I'm sure there's other examples that I didn't even mention or other fields prone to what, to, to, to burnout to or to mistakes, I guess both. kind of both, right? Both, both. Yeah. Of course. Right. Especially Bus drivers. Nowadays. Yeah. Drivers, mm-hmm. truck drivers being tired, right? This happens everywhere. It's not just healthcare. Right. You see, but, you know, on, on the news, like truck crashes or something like who knows what could have caused that, like sleep deprivation, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's definitely seen in a lot of different fields. Yeah. And we'll talk about ways that we, what we propose to prevent this from happening. But let's let's yeah. just start with defining what burnout is. So burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. There's also a concept called moral injury, which we'll also be talking about. That's actually very common in healthcare. And it's actually a little bit different than than burnout. It actually means morally, as providers, we feel that we're not doing the right thing because of several reasons so that's basically the framework here and so what causes burnout right that's the million dollar question so it usually happens when you feel overwhelmed emotionally drained unable to meet constant demands why has this happened in healthcare well it turns out that healthcare has gone through many changes in the past several decades that has resulted in increased rates of burnout these changes include increasing provider shortages higher demand on existing providers, less and less time with patients, increased patient load, more administrative tasks such as writing notes and overall less autonomy. Mm -hmm. Right, Sam? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, notes. That's a big one. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, and um, other things such as patients are getting more and more complex. And that's also placing stress on the healthcare worker. Right. Then we have external factors such as exorbitant amounts of student loans. You know, that that places a lot of stress on trainees such as medical students, physical therapy students, residents, you know, brand new attendings, brand new providers who they feel the pressure that they have to work more and more just to pay off these student loans. And lastly, medicine is becoming more and more like the corporate world where human relationships are diminishing and profits are becoming the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I believe the COVID-19 pandemic was the tipping point and we saw a mass exodus of providers retiring and or switching jobs. So let's, let's yeah. break this down, Sam. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think I know the reason why a lot of medical providers left their jobs, switched fields, retired, you know, yeah, I mean, it's because of the burnout and because of that. But I think also the pandemic really, really made people think differently about life and how valuable life is, especially the quality of life. And also how, how from one day to another, everything can change and everything can end. You know, a lot of people lost loved ones from the COVID-19 pandemic by the, by the dozens, you know, by a lot of people passed away because of this pandemic. So I think, I think it kind of made people realize like what's important and what's not important. And I think what you, what you mentioned about um, 
notes and student loans and all these all these other factors. I think that's not talked about a lot. You know, when people think of burnout, they just think about long hours, sleep deprivation, and you know, maybe like a difficult patient, like yelling at them or trying to sue them, malpractice. You know, that gets exhausting. But there are other small not small, but less talked about aspects of healthcare that, you know, you and I are required to do like notes that really takes away from patient care and taps into the the, uh, bureaucracies of healthcare, which can become very, very exhausting. So I think with the notes, I think, you know, if we could save time on, on documenting all these, all these notes for insurance companies, um, I think we could spend more time focusing on patient care and focusing on treating the patient who was right in front of us. Because guys, how many times have we gone to a, a doctor's office where you walk into the office, they don't even greet you really. They're just on the computer typing away. They don't even stand up to examine you. They don't shake your hand anymore. They don't ask you how you're doing. Because a lot of times they're burnt out. They really just don't have the time or don't have the spiritual and emotional um, they're not at that level anymore because of the, the amount of work they're given. So they, they start to see patients as just numbers and it's becoming a numbers game. And we're losing that therapeutic relationship, which actually improves healthcare outcomes. So I think yeah, everything, everything you mentioned is really important when it comes to uh, burnout, um, you know, notes, loans, and, and, uh, and also the complexity of the patients is increasing, which I never thought about, you know, there are more comorbidities nowadays with all the disease going around, you know, on top of the metabolic disease that has been spiking on top of the autoimmune diseases that have been spiking over the last few decades. Now we have a virus that we have to worry about. So before we even evaluate a patient and evaluate the complexities of their comorbidities and guys, what comorbidities means is, different medical conditions and diagnosis that they have that impact the plan of care and impact how well a patient can recover from their disease or in physical therapy, their injury. So comorbidities could be things like depression. It could be diabetes. It could be um, heart disease. So because of all the disease going around, you know, internally, now we have to worry about COVID and we have to worry about the rise in, in, in anxiety and depression because of what's going on. So that does lead to more burnout in healthcare. So it's a lot. That's a lot, Joe. It's a lot yeah. to take in for a healthcare provider and people are leaving, you know, and they're starting to realize that, you know, it's too much. And, and, and like you said, you have to put on the oxygen mask on a flight, on an airplane. When you can't breathe, if you want to help your loved ones next to you, you got to put on that mask first. And some people just can't do it. So they just quit and they leave the they leave fields. And, 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 but also when people do it, they realize that that oxygen is really, really fresh and, 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 and they breathe a lot better and they don't want to give up their life for, for, for other people anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Something to think about. And that's exactly right, Sam. And I'll just add a couple of points. So they called us healthcare heroes. Right. That's what that's that was the title they gave us in 2020. We, we were we used to get rounds of applause at 7 p.m. and at 7 a.m. before we would enter the hospital and, and after we would leave the hospital. 
where's the help for those healthcare heroes? We're still waiting for it. And like I said, COVID-19, there was a tipping point. It was a lot. A lot of providers have retired or and or have changed jobs. And I want to go back to the, the point of moral injury for a second. Basically, th- these EMRs, they've become cash machines. Okay? What, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when, whenever you go to a physician, the reason why... What do, you, what do you mean by EMR? EMR, electronic medical records. That's okay. why all, all these. Uh, that's why the the healthcare providers are on the computer because they have to document everything, and it has to be in real time. Because if they don't, then they don't get paid, or they'll get a, call, a phone call from an insurance company, and it will be a mess. And it wasn't always like this. You know, this is this is a new problem that we're having. This really started in the two thousands, with the rise of electronic medical records, with technology, and I think that. We just ha- we haven't figured out technology yet in medicine. You know, th- this is a relatively new thing, the the computer in medicine. Back in the day, doctors, they didn't really have this. I mean, any healthcare provider, they just had like a paper and pen, a clipboard, and they would just be writing things. But this is relatively new, this whole EMR situation. And this is I wonder forcing- how the medical I wonder how the medical errors were before when everything was pen and paper. But you have more time with the patient. I, I'm curious to know if technology is causing more medical errors or less medical errors. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I would say probably yes and no. Um, but my point is that phys- physicians, PTs, PAs, dentists, we've, we've all become glued and attached to the computers. Not because we want to, it's because we have to, because we have no choice. Because, you know, administrators, they're, they're telling us to do this. And it's such a shame because this is what's causing moral injury. We're not talking to our patients. We're not establishing relationships with patients anymore. We've become slaves to the computer instead of talking to people and, and connecting with them and looking at them like a real human is supposed to do. But that's just one example of, of uh, you know, the under, underpinnings of, of burnout. Um, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, so what's at the root of burnout, Joe? I mean, at the root of it, you know, you defined it. At the root of it is essentially, you know, stress. The stress response, right? So according to the latest research, the average human body is 20% water and 80% stress. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a joke, but like at this point, you know, 2022, with everything going on in the world, possible World War III starting, we have countries bombing each other. We have the China-Taiwan situation. We have the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we have the stock market the rise in medical disease with the stock market. We have shootings and stabbings on subways. We have people getting punched in the back of the head at, 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 at 8 a.m. for no reason. We have, you know, people cutting you off in traffic. We have road rage. We have personal problems. We have so much to deal with. So much to deal with. And at the root of all that is stress. Abnormal stress to the body and to the mind. So what is stress? Is it physical or is it mental? It's both. Is stress good or is it bad? It's both. It's both, guys. Stress was originally described in physics. 
In order to analyze the problem of how man-made structures must be designed to carry heavy loads and resist deformation. Right? So this is something that goes back to physics, right? A branch of science. It only later on expanded to apply to the human body. So stress is a word of physics, which refers to the amount of force used on an object. And it relates in real life to how certain issues that carry force are applied to human. So what can cause stress? Something intrinsic or something extrinsic? Basically, anything that evokes a biological response in our body can cause stress. What are some examples of intrinsic? Intrinsic could be an injury, an illness, a medical procedure. What about extrinsic? Extrinsic are environmental factors, like somebody cutting you off while you're driving on the, on the uh, Cross Island Parkway. Or in Joseph's case, in the boondocks of upstate. Also extrinsic. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Last time I was there, somebody honked at you. It was kind of rude. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the problem was, but we didn't let it affect us, right? Right, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, extrinsic factors are psychological, social situations, like, you know, living in a toxic household. It could be an abusive partner. Or even just PT school, medical school, nursing school, PA school, or airline school, or master's degree, anything like that. So the stress response, like what happens to our bodies when we are under acute stress? So our sympathetic nervous system is going to be activated, right? So our sympathetic nervous system is the opposite of our parasympathetic nervous system. There's two parts to it. And this makes up our peripheral nervous system which is basically what controls our, our heart rate, our lungs, our breathing rate, our digestion. So when we're stressed out, our body is going to increase our heart rate, or it's going to increase our respiratory rate, it's going to increase our blood pressure, our muscles are going to get very, very tight, right, in preparation for doing something like running away from a tiger or a lion or a bear, or getting, you know, clenching your fist, getting ready to defend yourself. We're also going to perspire. We may even have some pain, like a headache and stomach pain because we're not digesting. And we have decreased digestion in preparation for that fight or flight response. We've heard of the flight or flight res- fight or flight response, which is part of that sympathetic nervous system. So anytime we have a stressful event, we can either do... I'm going to keep it really simple because there's actually more more things. There's a fight, flight, and there's a couple more responses like the freeze response, which we'll talk about in different podcasts when I talk about chronic pain. But essentially, when we're faced with a stressful event, such as, you know, we're going to perform a surgery or we're going to, you know, um, maybe go on a flight or we have to do a presentation in front of 100 people or, you know, someone attacks us or something like our bodies can either fight or flight, meaning run away. Those are, those are, those are the, to keep it simple, those are the two options. And, you know, what happens in the body physiologically is there, there are hormonal changes that are near instantaneous that happen from our brain to our body. That connection is enhanced. And at the, at the root of all this is the amygdala. So what is the amygdala? 
The amygdala is a structure in the brain that is responsible for fear. It's responsible for emotions. And it's part of our limbic system or the emotion center of our brain. So the amygdala interprets the stimulus, meaning whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic, you know, stress, it's going to interpret that stimulus. And the amygdala is going to respond with a distress signal to another area of our brain called the hypothalamus. This area of our brain, the hypothalamus, then communicates with our nervous system and, and activates what I just said, the sympathetic nervous system. We also get an upregulation of something called the HPA axis. So a connection between our kidneys and our brain. We release cortisol, which is that hormone that just makes us, you know, do stuff. You know, it makes us have more energy, that stress hormone. Um, so what happens over time with this acute stress, what happens over time is we get chronic stress. You know, persistent instigators. That's our response to persistent instigators. Poor sleep, stress, unhealthy diet, dysfunctional relationships, social isolation, right? How many people are socially, socially isolated because of the pandemic? A lot of people. And a lot of people are socially isolated, and that's causing more disease, more mental health problems, and more physical problems than a lot of other uh, problems that are going on right now. Social isolation is not good. Solitude, lack of exercise, lack of sunlight. Hey, Sam, wasn't there a study that showed that social isolation was as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes? Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Humans are social species. Like we need to be in groups. We're not. We're not. We're not like. Um, I don't know. What's like a species that like lives by themselves? We're not like crocodiles or snakes. even like tigers, snakes, tiger. Like we're social beings. We need to be around people. Yeah, I understand. There's, there was a pandemic. Okay, but guys, it's you know it's a, it's a lot safer now. We can go outside, get some fresh air. You know, wear your mask if you feel comfortable, sure, but definitely engage in social interactions with people in a safe manner. Yeah, I think that's important for our well-being and for, for our stress. So not to get too off on a tangent here, but essentially at the root of burnout is this chronic stress over time that causes physiological changes in our body, mental changes in our body, and... And it's really what what's at the root of of um, of burnout in different fields. Yeah, that that all is very accurate. And uh, I would just add that some stress is good, right? So we evolved to experience stressful situations, such as we're running away from a tiger, we have to get out of here. You know, some stress is good, and actually, there's some evidence that shows that stress, if it's at, at the right dose, actually helps you with performance. Mm -hmm. However, if it goes past the tipping point, it actually becomes counterproductive. So like Sam was mentioning, chronic stress is never good. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. in, a, in a modern day society, we're, we're suffering from chronic stress from everything that you just mentioned, such as bad relationships, a, a toxic boss, a toxic job, a long commute, um, sick family members, childcare, you name it. Mm -hmm. So the point is, everyone is at risk for burnout and stress. Right. People who work long hours, people who, who have to commute long, long times, stressful lines mm -hmm. of work, those who do not prioritize their health are at risk for this. Right. 
The COVID-19 pandemic made all of this worse. Not taking time for self-care. And we're seeing this happen in a lot of fields, such as social work, law, retail, tech, medicine, education, and law enforcement. Right? We're having so many police officers retiring too because yeah. it's, it's becoming increasingly more stressful. Teachers are under tremendous Teachers. Stress, we right? haven't talked about teachers. Oh, my Be- God. Yeah, they're they going have through to, a lot. Yeah, teachers. And, you know, we need teachers. They're such an important part of our society. You know, I, I think I believe that teachers, police officers, and healthcare providers, those three, I mean, those are the backbone of society, right? I mean, I'm not saying that everyone else is useless, right? But what I'm saying is that they're, they're very useful. I mean, they, they, they provide so much and they have to always, they, 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 they have to take so much burden every single day. So teachers, I mean, they've had to, they went from teaching in person to having to do telemed, I mean, sorry, um, remote teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, doctors, they've had to also adjust and become more adept at telemedicine. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. just, it's across the board. And again, like I was saying, the COVID-19 pandemic was the tipping point in my opinion yeah that's why we're seeing all these changes and all these things are happening because it was the first time in people's lives where they realized wait a second wait this could be different it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be the way it's always been and i feel like covid exposed everybody to everything right they realized that Mm -hmm. oh i don't have to go in i could just work from home right Mm -hmm. that's an illusion like you don't have to go in and commute for three hours you could just work from home yeah. But so let's let's kind of take this back and let's talk about some of the personal experiences we've had with burnout and stress. So Sam, tell tell us tell us um when you you actually encountered this in your own experience. Encountered burnout? Yeah. Man, uh well, I mean definitely in in physical therapy school, you know, it's a it's a doctorate degree. A lot of people don't know, but physical therapy program is a doctorate degree and it is an intensive three years, three months, you know, some programs are three years, some little more. Uh, my program was three years and three months. It's very intensive. Um, you're doing clinical rotations. You're doing four or five, you know, four or five, depending on the school clinical rotations and my program in specific, I had to do my clinical rotations during the week while I was going to school on the weekends. So my, my program was a weekend program. So I sacrificed three, uh, basically I sacrificed three and a half years of weekends, guys, weekends. What do people normally do on weekends? They go to weddings, they go to barbecues, they hang out with their friends. I'm not saying I didn't hang out with my friends, but I'm saying it was a lot less for those three years that I had to sac- I had to sacrifice a lot to get to where I am right now. And at one point, you know, obviously I felt the burnout. Um, but luckily, not luckily for me, but thankfully I had the tools and the knowledge and education and the curious mind to seek ways that I can help myself. And I found the tools through mindfulness, meditation and exercise and breathing and nutrition that helped me get through my burnout. And I would always see my classmates like before practicals or before exams, like stressed out, you know, always sitting down, like you know, nervous and worried and, 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 you know, they, they would be outside the hallway, like just talking about the exam. Like, oh, what do you think is going to be an exam? You know, oh, what do you think is going to be an exam? You know, did you study? How many hours of sleep did you get? Oh, I only got three hours of sleep. Oh yeah, I know. I don't know how I'm going to do on this test. Uh, 
and I would sit there and think to myself, like, what's going on? Like, why, why are you, why did you not sleep last night? We have an exam. Like you had clinical yesterday. Like what, what's going on? I felt like at one point I was like the only person that was like, you know, doing things to help myself so that I could be a better physical therapy student so that I could be a better, you know, clinician, student clinician at the time for my patients. So luckily I had the tools to, to fight and put out the fire of this burnout. But a lot of people don't have those tools, you know? So, you know, let's, let's save a little bit of time, Joe, at the end of this podcast to, to kind of give people some tools and even other healthcare professionals tools that they can utilize right now, listening to the podcast so that they can, you know, prevent this and, and, and stop it from, from stop the wildfire from spreading. So that was my experience with burnout, you know, as a student, PT, um, a lot going on. You know, I had to study for my board's exam. I had personal, personal things going on. I had, you know, I don't know if I said it in a previous podcast, but I was having like some, some, some arm pain and chest pain after taking cardiopulmonary, you know, I was very stressed out, but I was able to manage and get through it. Like I said, with the tools I had. So yeah, I mean, that's how I got through it. What about you, Joe? Well, I've had a lot of burnout. I mean, this, it really started in medical school. Um, you know, I would say probably the third year, that's when the burnout was real. And I really started to see how, uh, excess stress would really turn into burnout. But honestly, it got really bad in residency. And I think, I just think it was the accu accumulation of stress throughout so many years of, of training in medical school, studying for, for tests. And I think for me, I was really burnt out during COVID 2020. That was the year where, where I was like, this is, this, this is worth it because, you know, as you guys know, during, during the pandemic, a lot of hospitals, they basically turn into COVID units. So, you know, a lot of hospitals, they created ICUs and everything was basically COVID patients and our residency program was basically interrupted and instead of taking electives, instead of, you know, doing rotations that would help us for our careers, we ended up having, we were actually forced to, to basically help these patients that were sick with COVID. And a lot of residents didn't agree with it, including myself, because I felt that we were, we were not being fairly compensated and that's a separate topic. But we were we were not well protected. We didn't at that time we didn't even know what COVID was. We didn't know how to prevent it, what it could cause. People were getting sick in my class. There were countless number of residents who were calling out because they were sick, because they had family members that were sick. And it was just madness. And it was it was horrible. So for me, twenty twenty was that burnout year. But like Sam was saying, um, you know, and we'll talk more about this shortly. You know, there are ways to prevent burnout from happening. And for me, it was really prioritizing nutrition, exercise, sleep, and taking time for yourself. That's something that I feel my co-residents were not good at. That they were always working. They didn't know when to stop. And I knew when to stop. Mm -hmm. And I knew when I had to take some time off, maybe do something fun. Go for a Why? hike, go for a run, because I Why? knew that I started getting stressed. Like, yeah, I, but other other people know that they were stressed too. How come they didn't do anything? How come 
how come you decided to do something about it? Because there's a stigma in medicine. Because in medicine, everything is, you're supposed to go 100 miles an hour and you can't stop. And if you stop, then it's, it, it, people think they're weak. They're perceived as weak. And that's a big problem in medicine. Where and It was actually worse back in the day where doctors, they would work seven days a week, no, no rest, you know, 48-hour calls. It's, it's the culture of medicine that has to change. Where you're perceived as weak, you're perceived as lazy, you're not working hard enough. And people, they think that that's the same thing as not taking some time off to exercise, prioritize sleep, nutrition. And I think that this stuff has to start in medical school or even before medical school. And this is not even specific to medicine. This is in every field, whether you're a teacher, a police officer, in the military, right? I mean, you're going to be under a lot of stress, but you have to have a system in place that's going to help prevent you from becoming burnt out because stress is going to happen no matter what. Whether you'd like it or not, you're, you're going to be stressed, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But the question is, how do you respond to that stress, right? How do you become resilient to, to that stress? And that's where we'll get into it at the end of this podcast. What, what we think companies should do, organizations, jobs, what they, should, what they should implement to prevent this from happening. And also, people have to also take responsibility and ownership for themselves, like, what are they going to do day in, day out to prevent this burnout? So, yeah, that's some of, that's some, those are some of my experiences. Yeah. So, let's, let's start talking about how do we actually treat burnout, okay? So, I have a couple of domains here. One is exercise, sleep, stress management, nutrition, social interactions, and sense of purpose and community. So, Sam, you can... If you want, you can take one of these and, 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 and tell the audience, how do you think we should use these to prevent burnout? Yeah, so we can talk about, um, you mentioned stress management as one of them? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, how do we treat burnout, right? And again, guys, burnout, um, I just want to mention that burnout recently um, was added in to the ICD-10 which is um, a set of diagnostic like codes that you know medical providers use to document and bill. So burnout is an actual like diagnosis at this point. So this is serious. This is like you know like anxiety, depression has has a code that you can bill for. So you can actually get treated for this now. Um, so the ICD-10 code is Z seventy three point or dot zero Z seventy three dot zero. So again, it's a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully successfully managed. So, like Joe said, we all, you know most a lot of jobs have stress. You know, chronic workplace stress. the The problem is when it's not successfully managed. You know, and this is characterized by three dimensions: feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance of feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job and also reduce professional efficacy. So the, I, I recently watched the news. I know that's a shock to you, Joe. I know. <laughs> it's a shock. Actually, it wasn't even my... Somebody put it on and I was just like passing by and I, I, I saw something on the news. I mean, let me be clear, guys. I don't watch the news. I saw something on the news in passing. <laughs> And they were talking about um, they were talking about something called quiet quitting. I think that's what it was called, quiet quitting. 
where people are mentally detaching from their jobs or quitting, but still showing up to work. So I was like, wow, this is literally like the, 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 the reason this is literally like why or the cause of like burnout is the cause of this quiet quitting. And um, I thought that was so, so crazy. Like that's it's a real thing. It's a real diagnostic code. Um, so I'm glad that they made it a code. And yeah, what can we do about it? How do we manage stress? Well, one thing we can do is um, seek a mental health professional, right? It's very stigmatized uh, nowadays, but there are many, you know, even applications where you can even just chat with somebody. Like you don't have to meet them in person. Like guys, they're not talking about like in the movies. Like what's that movie, Joe, with Robert De Niro, where he's like a, I don't like to use the word shrink, but since we're talking about the movie, he's like a shrink. Um, And, you know, he has like people come in or, or maybe he's a patient. I don't know. There's a movie with Robert De Niro. There's a bunch of movies where, um, you know, it's like a typical scene where the patient comes in, sits on the couch or lays on the couch looks at the ceiling and the quote unquote shrink. I hate using that word, but we're talking about the movie. Um, They kind of talk to the patient and try to get them to open up. And it's kind of awkward. And like, that's not really how it is. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, there are apps that you can text somebody. You can even do a video call. You can do an audio call with the mental health professional, a social worker, a therapist, a psychotherapist. There are many people out there that can help help you. So number one, you're not alone. Don't be afraid to seek help by a professional. Uh, it's always good to also seek help from people who know you best, like friends or family. Um, but always, always make sure that, you know, you're going to somebody who's going to give you an unbiased opinion and advice. Because a lot of times our friends and family, they're just going to agree with us. You know, you know, you come home from a stressful day at work. and You're like, oh, man, my boss, you know, he's such an a-hole or, you know, that person really, you know, bothered me today because they did this, this and this. And then your friend or family who always takes your side, they're going to be like, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're terrible. I don't know why they did that. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you're right. Totally. You don't want that kind of advice. Joe, do you, you want somebody to tell you the truth and, and, or do you want them to lie to you? I want the truth. Exactly. What did Kobe Bryant once say in an interview? If you're at a dinner table and you have a piece of broccoli stuck in your tooth, do you want somebody to tell you right away or do you want to look, you want to sit there for, for three hours for the whole entire dinner date like an idiot and, and then realize nobody told you you have a piece of broccoli in between your tooth? Which one do you want? I'm asking you, Joe. You know, you know the answer to that. The first yeah, one. Yeah, you want you want them to tell you right away, like, hey, man, you, you know, you got yeah, a piece of broccoli stuck in between your tooth. But not not everybody wants things like that, though. Unfortunately, right, I mean that's that's an extreme example, you know. But you know, maybe you know, tell them on the side or something. You don't want to embarrass them, but you know, you want people to tell you the truth. And social workers, and therapists, and mental health practitioners, they're gonna tell you the objective truth. Because they're trained to do this. They are trained to listen to you. They have empathy. They are trained to listen to, to what you're saying. 
and give you good advice. And they're not going to tell you what to do. They're always just going to give recommendations. So, you know, that's an option, guys. You know, friends and family, you know, if appropriate, if they're going to give you good advice, if they're going to be objective about it, great. The other options, you know, and, and it's not just picking one. Like, you know, you can do a few of these things. Uh, meditation. You know, meditation is a great option to manage stress. The problem with meditation is that people think meditation is sitting down with your with, with your uh, thumb and your index finger put into a circle and closing your eyes and going like this. Om. No, that, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Guys, this is not this is not the movies. We're not talking about Hollywood. All right, forget about shrinks and couches. Forget about ums. It doesn't have to be like that. Okay? You can meditate however you want to meditate. Everyone's going to do it differently. You have guided visual meditations. You have breathing meditations. You have um, imagery meditations. You have transcendental meditations. You have yoga meditations. Many different types of meditations. I recommend just going on YouTube, typing in something like 20-minute guided meditation to be in the present moment. I recommend the guided meditations because a lot of times people think that meditation is like clearing your mind. Like you shouldn't be thinking about anything. And if you do, you're doing it wrong. No. The fact that you chose to meditate means that you're doing it right. It's not about winning or losing. It's not about doing it right or wrong. You don't have to worry about that. Just follow up an easy guided meditation and let the person take you to where you want to go through the audio. If you guys want to check this out, I actually posted a video on our YouTube channel at the Soto Health and Wellness on YouTube. And the video was called 20-Minute Guided Meditation to Be in the Present Moment. Achieve everything by doing nothing. Meditation is about just being, being in the present moment, focusing on your breath, and if your mind wanders, just let it wander. You don't have to fight your mind. You know, your body and your mind is connected. It's one thing. You don't have to fight yourself. Just let it be. So I think meditation is great. I think exercise is also great, which, Joe, you can talk a little bit about. I know, you know, stress management is what I'm trying to focus here on. But I think those are great options. And um, they also there's also apps like Calm and Headspace that you can use to meditate and um, and work on your breathing to help manage burnout. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about um, exercise and how that can be used to help with burnout. Yeah, so there's several different tactics that we can use to help prevent burnout and stress. And I, I think meditation is obviously a key, a key one. It's very, very, very impactful. But also there's things such as exercise. And studies have shown that even 15 minutes a day of exercise several days a week has been shown to reduce stress, lower blood pressure, and just creates overall well-being. And all the, something else to think about is sleep. Guys, sleep is so important to prevent stress. It's recommended that we need at least seven hours of sleep per night. Optimally, eight hours. And some people actually need nine hours. So we're talking seven to nine hours of sleep consistently every single night. And again, it's been shown that sleep deprivation leads to higher rates of anxiety, depression, stress, burnout. So we have to start prioritizing sleep. Now, we're, we're probably going to do an episode just on sleep. 
right, oh, yeah. Sam? Right? Because it's so important. Yeah. It's literally as important as your diet and your exercise, okay? We spend but, 33... We spend a third of our lives sleeping. Yeah. But the point One is third. you want to have consistent sleep. And, you know, we spoke about nutrition already. Avoid processed foods, guys. Process. No processed food. I don't know how many times we have to say the same thing. But please avoid refined grains, sugars. And then also we need we need to talk and about seed social. oils. <clears throat> yeah, seed oils. Avoid seed oils at all costs. Yeah. Social interactions. We need we need that. We need strong interactions with family members, friends, cl- close ones. That's a, that's been shown to prevent burnout. And also we need a sense of purpose and community, which unfortunately we're not getting. A lot of these jobs that you guys are working at and you know who who you know who you are, whoever's listening to this. You most of you guys don't like your job. You're just there for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And when when you're only at a job for a paycheck and you don't have no purpose in this job, that's not sustainable. And that's going to definitely lead to burnout. And we're going to actually talk about what separates Americans and Europeans in just a second. Yeah. So do you have anything else to say about that topic, Sam? Yeah, I just want to quickly say like how to measure burnout because a lot of people... You know, they may be wondering, like, how do we actually measure it? How how does it become a diagnostic criteria? How do we know, like, like how do we uh, how do we measure this, right? And there's something called the Maslach's Burnout Inventory, and it's a 22 item inventory or test used to assess the degree of burnout. And what everybody could do is actually go online and type in mindgarden.com. And and search for the Maslach Burnout Inventory. So M A S L A C H Burnout Inventory. And there are different uh, questionnaires for medical personnel, for human service workers, for educators, for students, and for general use. And basically, you know, you open up the file, and uh, you can take it there. You may have to pay, I think, fifteen or twenty bucks, but it's really, really useful because it'll tell you. It'll tell you like where you fall in that category, um, which could be a cause for concern if you're in that high category. So there are actually three domains for burnout. And the first one is emotional exhaustion. The second is personal accomplishment. And the third is depersonalization. I think that's the big one, Joe. Like when you're so burnt out at your job that you don't even really know who you are anymore as a human being, and you start to question, like, what am I doing here? Am I actually helping? Who am I? I think that's when things get really, really rocky. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's a good test to kind of measure burnout. Um, you know, some sample questions from the student questionnaire are, you know, do you feel fatigued or tired when you get up in the morning and have to face another day at university? Um, do you feel frustrated by your studies? Another one could be, do you feel that patients and other students blame blame you for some of their problems? Do you feel like you are positively influencing other people's lives through your studies? So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that uh, you can actually measure this stuff. But, yeah, Joe, let's talk about um, let's talk about the five day work week. Right. That's the title of our podcast. The four, four day know? work week. Right. The four day work week. Are we actually headed in America towards a four day work week. You know, the first time I heard about this was a few years ago in one of the Nordic countries where they were doing these trials. 
And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like 48 work week sounds great. Why aren't we doing this? So uh, can you explain a little bit more about that and, uh, and uh, some of the possible reasons as to why we haven't adopted that four day work week yet? Yeah. So I would say that it's not just the number of hours that we work that creates burnout. There's also uh, many other factors such as, do you actually like your job? Do you have purpose in your job? Right. There's a lot of external factors, but let me just tell you guys a couple of things about Europe. So European countries, they have some of the world's strongest economies, and yet they also manage to have some of the world's best work-life balance. We've all heard about the siesta culture, and I know me and Sam, we're very familiar with this. But basically, for, for, the, for the people who've never been to Europe, in countries such as Spain, Italy, and maybe others, around 2 or 3 p.m. every single day, businesses close. And they close for about two to three hours in the middle of the day. Workers often get to go home. They, they can eat, rest, and then often they return later in the day. And I always thought that that was so interesting because in America, if you close, if you close at 2 p.m., I mean, everyone, there would be a riot outside. <laughs> and in Europe, it's, it seems like that's ingrained in their culture. It's called the siesta culture where... They just literally close shop for like two to three hours every day, especially in the summertime. And I, I never, I, I'll admit when I, when I was younger, I didn't understand that. And I was frustrated with that. But now as I'm getting older, I'm understanding why they do it. And although they don't name it burnout, they know they, the Europeans, they're very, you know, they, 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 they know that this stuff exists. And in order to prevent that, they, they develop that. And we need something like that in the U.S. We need, we need some sort of system that prevents, that gives workers rest during the day. You know, it doesn't have to be two to three hours, but I'm, I'm proposing several things. I'm proposing respecting the lunch hour. Guys, we've all seen this. We've all seen everybody work at the desk, right? Eat at the desk, right? They don't leave the office. You need You need to like, know when to stop and when to go outside and get fresh air. And I think jobs, they have to start implementing these things into, into their companies. We need to start not sending emails during off hours and weekends. We need to guarantee vacation time. You know, most Europeans, they have around four to six weeks of vacation per year. That prevents burnout. I also propose having a designated meditation room or a restroom at work, giving workers time to eat while relaxed, and also an option of working remotely or hybrid. So these are, these are some of the things that we have to keep in mind, both individually and at the company level. And regarding the four-day work week, you know, we have seen some, some companies starting to do that even in the US, but there are several European nations that do this. France, for example, they have the, I believe it's a 30, 32 hour work week restriction, which it comes out to about four days a week. I saw a recent study in the UK that they're piloting a four day work week. Uh, I think some, some Northern European countries are also adopting this. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a concept that I believe will become implemented more and more the four day work week, but I don't think that's enough. I think it's not just four days. We also need to think about what are we actually doing during those days? Because you could you could work fifty hours in four days, 
Are you really preventing burn burnout? Probably not. So I, I believe that this has to come from a, a systematic level, the government level, company level. And also as the individual, we also have to prioritize this. We have to say, you know what? I've been sitting eight hours a day at the office. Let me, let me, let me exercise after work or let me exercise before work. Let me walk to work if, if that's possible or bike to work. That's another thing that Europeans do. They walk mm -hmm. a lot. They walk more than we do. We drive way too much in America. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't, we're not walking enough. We're not biking. We're too sedentary in our cars, right? Drive-thrus, getting Wendy's, the McDonald's. You know who you are. We need to stop yeah. that because it's terrible. It's killing us. So not only are you eating processed foods, but you're also not exercising, which is deadly. So yeah. we, need, we need to really start modeling European nations because... Unfortunately, the way that this experiment, the way that we're doing in this country is not working and we're, and we're really suffering consequences. Guys, America, as great as it is, suffers from one of the world's, what, it's one of the worst worlds in the, places in the world for chronic disease. And we've been hit so hard from COVID because we're so unhealthy. And it's so sad because we have, we're the richest country in the world. We have the most technology in terms of healthcare. And yet we have, we're we're just terrible. Like we're sixty third in the in the world in terms of longevity. Like it's just it's just absurd what's happening, and I feel like a, a lot of this starts in the workplace when people don't have enough time to exercise, to eat well, to rest, to vacation. All this starts in the workplace, and I'm not so sure if America is ever going to be like Europe because unfortunately America is profit first, and Europe there's a saying. Americans. They, were, uh, they live to work and Europeans mm -hmm. work to live. Mm -hmm. That's a very powerful statement. Europeans, they know how to live life. They know when to not work. They know, when, they know how to have a good time. But Americans, they, they're always stressed. They always seem to be worrying about bills and commute times, lo these long commute times. You don't really see that in other countries, like driving an hour each day, back and forth. All this contributes to burnout. So it's not just the number of hours that you're working. It's also, you know, are you commuting three hours a day? Are you dealing with with a with a annoying boss? So it's 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 not it's not as as easy as a four day work week. I think it's a good start. I, I do think we should start implementing it, but you know, it, it is it is going to have to be at the systemic level, I believe. Yeah, I think they should start doing trials for it, you know, like uh, just just to see ha what happens to productivity, what happens to quality of life. You know, like you said, many countries have done this already. France, um, Spain has done has done this as well. Um, Iceland, Ireland. So in Iceland, um, research has found that a four day work week without a pay cut. You know, we didn't talk about pay. A four day work week without pay cut actually improves workers well-being and productivity so the only way to convince america to try out a four-day work week is gonna is gonna be to say hey america if we if we do a four-day work week productivity will actually improve and what happens when productivity improves well what is productivity the product, the productivity is the quality of producing something, right? Producing what? Producing um, 
producing uh, produce, producing uh, materials, producing energy, right? Whatever, whatever factory or job or company producing revenue, money, right? So if we can pr increase productivity by decreasing hours worked per week and days worked per week, why not? Why isn't yeah. it possible? Yeah, right? exactly. We could do it. Let's do it. Like I said, your European countries are they're some of the most productive countries in the world. For example, Germany, one of the strongest economies in the world, France, Spain, Italy. And the people, they don't work nearly as hard as we do and as long as we do. And yet they're able to be very productive. They have great economies. So do we really need to work this amount of hours? Just just something to think about, guys. Think and Again, think for yourself. Do you really want to be commuting two hours every day when you could be exercising those two hours or you could be cooking instead of going to Pizza Hut? Mm -hmm. Right? These are th we have to start thinking for ourselves here. And anyway, Sam, I think we should start wrapping this up. Do you have any other yeah. final comments? No, I think I think I think we hit them all. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, try try meditation. Um, don't be afraid of it. Um, I think it'll really help you guys. If you guys have any questions about meditating, you know, I have a lot of experience with this. Feel free to email us, uh, you know, at thesotohwp at gmail.com. I'll gladly respond to your email. Uh, we could do a whole podcast, Joe, on just meditation, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and let's uh, do it. we're going to have a lot of podcasts in the future about sleep. We're going to have so many things to talk about. And again, you guys know how to reach us. But I think this was a good podcast, Sam. Um, yeah. If, if that's everything, then, mm -hmm. um, then you know, we'll see you guys at the next episode. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. If you like our content, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Feel free to email us with any comments, questions, or a topic you would like for us to discuss at the SotoHWP at gmail.com. Follow us on YouTube at Soto Health and Wellness for podcast clips, guided meditations, nutritional guidance and advice, and other educational topics. Also follow us on Instagram at the Soto HWP. Be well.